Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the Scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you have read through the book of Ecclesiastes recently? What stands out to you about it? Time for everything. Kind of, it kind of, if you just read it real quickly and you just kind of read it at a glance and you don't really dig deep, and it just kind of seems a little depressing. It kind of seems a little depressing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you if you start at the beginning and you get you keep going, and there's some spots through there where you he, you're like, this guy was really wow. Now, here's what you need to know. Spoiler alert! I'm going to pull the curtain back for you. The whole book is not as depressing as it seems. I promise. But now, y'all know how this thing works. This is a twelve book, a twelve chapter book, which means it's probably going to take us four or five months, right? To get through this. There's going to be a lot of weeks where when we're discussing what Solomon is trying to teach us, well, we're going to walk out of here and we're going to go, that was not very uplifting. That was not very encouraging. Okay, But today, today's not one of those days. Today is an introduction day. Today's a day to help us understand what the book is about. It gives us an overview. We're looking at the, the, the 30,000 foot view of the book before we really jump into it next week. So, Here's what you need to know. Uh, the, the book is really written from the perspective, I think, and I read this a couple of times, and I, I think this is true. Solomon was, was later on in his life when he wrote this book. All right? So Solomon is reflecting on all of the things that he tried, all of the things that he tried to fill his life with in order to make it himself happy or to make himself to fill that hole, whatever was missing in his life. And y'all, he, I mean, the, the, I guess the kind of depressing thing is that Solomon was a guy who had everything, right? He was rich, he was a king, he was powerful, he had wealth, he had women, he had everything that he could possibly think would work to fill his life, yet as he's looking back on it, his word is what? Meaningless. Vanity. All of it was meaningless. All of it was vanity. Now, again, you just kind of go, well, that's not very exciting. That's not very encouraging. But his whole point is, he's got two themes, and we're going to talk about them, and I'm going to give you the overview real quick. But his two, point, his two things that he encourages us to do is, one, just stop and enjoy what you got. The Lord has blessed you. The Lord has given you. The Lord has provided for you. Stop going out and stop searching. Stop going out and trying to find more. Stop because you're missing what you already have by going and trying to search for more. Right? We live in a world that that is, that is pretty well where, where most people are today. They can't be content with what they got because they need something else. Right? The other thing he's going to teach us through this, and he says it five or six times through the book, is we must have a fear, a respect, an awe for who God is. 
Now, again, he's coming to this conclusion at the end of his life when he's looking back on all the things that he did and he regrets and he wishes he hadn't done. Now he's telling us that we should stop and smell the roses because God put them there. I mean, essentially, that's where we're coming from this morning, right? All right. I want to read this story to you. I read this in my, in my commentary this morning, and it came from an author named Roy Zook. And he told this story, so I'm just going to read it to you, okay? According to a Russian legend, a peasant was to receive by a deed all the land that he could encompass by running in one day. Now, I'm out because running in one, I mean, I'm not going to get much land. I'm going to get pretty much where I'm standing if i got to run to go get it, right? But this is the thing. Everything that he can run, everything that he can find, everything that he can claim by the end of the day will be his. When the day came, he ran and he ran and he got back to the starting point at the end of the day and he was just absolutely worn out, just absolutely exhausted. But he realized there was still a, a, a sliver of sunlight left. There's still some time left. So he took off and he, and he ran and he, he went in the other direction and he acquired more land. And when he got back and the sun got just below the horizon, he looked and he said, man, I've got a lot of land. And then he dropped dead. Y'all, that, that, that pretty well encapsulates what our society is trying to do today. You've heard the old expression, he who dies with the most toys wins. You probably also heard the opposite of that. He who dies with the most toys is, is just dead. Right? We, we work and we toil and we labor and we spend all this time trying to accumulate money and we are trying to accumulate things. And when my car uh, is, when I see another car, I won't, I just give up mine and I go get that. It may mean I have to work more hours, I may have to sell some stuff, I may have to do some other things, but I'm always in need of something else. In America, in our society, we call it maybe keeping up with the Joneses, right? Which we're trying to keep up with those. And the truth is the Joneses are probably into debt up to their eyeballs because they're trying to impress. They're trying to keep up with somebody too, right? And so he's going to tell us, Solomon is going to tell us that the, what is the point? As a matter of fact, Mr. Zook, at the end of that little story, he basically said, what then is the point of living? If we just accumulate and we just work our fingers to the bones and, we, and then at the end of the day we have nothing, what, what's the point, right? What's the point? Now, if you look at things from a non-Christian standpoint, I, I agree. There's, there's little to know. What, what is the use? What is the point? If I, have no, if I don't have Christ and we don't have that relationship, and we don't have eternity to, and heaven to look forward to, what is the point of our lives? Yes, yeah, to have relationships. Yes, it's to meet people. Yes, it's to do things and to pass on things to our family. But if we don't have Christ, this is, this is pretty accurate. What's the point? Right? Which is, which is why, completely aside from all of this other stuff, which is why it's so important, believers, for us to make sure that those who don't know Christ, those who are out there toiling and spinning their wheels in the sand for no reason, it's our job as believers to help them understand that there's more to it than just trying to get the next paycheck. There's more to it than just trying to have a nicer car. There's more to it than just trying to have a bigger house or a nicer boat or a vacation home. And look, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. 
Not knocking any of it. Okay? But, you know, John says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? Forfeit his soul. Solomon is just the precursor to that. Solomon is just the guy who is foreshadowing what is going to be written later on. What good is it? So, let's jump in. Let's, let's, let's read here. We're going to just kind of jump around. I'm going to give you a lot of references. If you've got a pen and piece of paper and you want to write them down, that's fine. If you just want to listen, I'm not going to read every verse. Actually, I am going to read every verse, but I'm not going to ask you necessarily to flip pages because there's like 30 of them today, okay? So just hang. Just hang and, and just if you want to write down the references, that's fine. All right? So, we start in verse 1 of chapter 1, and he says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, we need to understand, though there are some that, that kind of argue whether this is really Solomon, most, most scholars, most people believe, this is Solomon, the son of David. He fits the profile, he fits all of the things that are said about him, it makes sense, it ties back to him. I believe it's Solomon, okay? So I, I'm going to teach you as if Solomon is saying all this stuff because that's the way it, it pours out to me, it reads out to me. He said he calls himself the preacher, yours may say the teacher, but he is writing this as a book of instruction. Okay, if you want to be honest, he writes that. He writes the book of Proverbs. It's a book of instruction. It's a book to teach. His, his goal at the end of his life is to make sure that he imparts all of the wisdom, because y'all remember, Solomon prayed for what? Okay, he is, his goal is to impart all of the wisdom, some that he received, some that he earned the hard way. Y'all know what I'm talking about is to impart every bit of that as he can on others. And it, he writes it down and he passes it out and he shares it for everybody to hear. Okay, So the preacher, the teacher mentioned in verse 1, we're going to understand and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move forward knowing that that is Solomon, the son of King David. Okay, Now, verse 2, he says this, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Okay, that's as far as we're going today. So at this rate, we're going to finish the book of Ecclesiastes in about 2027. All right, y'all just hang with me. But we're going to finish before then, I promise. All right, so this word vanity here, in, in, in the original language, the Hebrew language is the word hevel, H-E-V-E-L. All right, hevel. And so basically he says, hevel, hevel, Everything is hevel. Okay, so you got to understand then what is the word hevel. And it is, it's meaningless, it's pointless. But a better, a better description is the word vapor. Alright, the better description is the word vapor. This is the perfect time of year to be explaining this because if you were outside this morning and it was 45 degrees or whatever it was and you exhaled some of your 98 degree breath, into the 45 degree air, what did you see? Smoke, vapor, you saw steam, you saw something that came out of your mouth. It's one of my favorite things that I used to love it as a kid. I, was, I would pretend I was a dragon, right? And the steam would come out and it was the coolest thing. But now what do we know about that vapor? How long does it last? Does it follow you around the rest of the day? Do you, do you breathe out in the morning and then come back and that steam, that vapor is still in the right place, the same place it was when you breathed it? Disappears pretty quick, doesn't it? So the word hevel 
has that, that meaning to it, that, 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 that vapor that comes and goes. It, it's there for a moment and then it disappears. All right. Another meaning for the word hevel, there's multiples, which means throughout the book you kind of have to understand the context of what he's talking about to understand what he's talking about here. But he's taught, when he says the word hevel here, it also has the meaning of like an, an enigma. An enigma is like a, a circumstance or a situation in your life that you kind of maybe get to where you think you've got it figured out and then you realize you don't. Like, it, 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 sometimes it makes sense. In the moment you think it almost makes the most sense, then it changes and it doesn't make sense anymore. All of those are perfect descriptions for kind of how human life is. I mean, we're told multiple times through Scripture that our life, James, we just finished James, right? James told us. Your life is fleeting. Your life is a vapor. Your life, don't, don't say you're going to go here and do that and plan all this other stuff because you don't know. Right? You're a vapor. You're that breath that comes out in the cold morning and it looks really cool and then you try to take a picture of it and it's gone. We know that life is very much like that enigma, that, that riddle, that thing that we try to figure out and just when we think we've got it figured out, the rules change, right? Y'all ever, ever experienced that in life? Where you think you've got, I think I've got this, this living on earth thing figured out and then everything changes. Right? All right. So, hevel, hevel. Hevel of hevels, all is hevel. All is meaningless. All is a vapor. All is an enigma. All is, is tough for us to figure out how to deal with. Now, the interesting thing here, and I, I like this and I thought this was cool, when he says vanity of vanities or hevel of hevels, He's using a redundancy there. We, we, we see it in Scripture. In the Old Testament, you read, you, there was a place in, in Exodus where they went to worship the Holy of Holies. It was this repetition of the Word. Not only was it holy, but it was the holiest of all things that were holy. Right? We know King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we see these things. Solomon writes another book later that was considered his greatest, and it was called The Song of Songs. This repetition is a big thing in the Old Testament. So here, when he says hevel of hevels, he's really saying it's the most fleeting, it's the most vapor, it's the most enigma thing is just living your life. Which, again, at face value, you can, you can almost go, oh, gone, that's depressing. Right? All right. So now, let's get in. Hevel of hevels. Hevel of hevels. The word hevel has several meanings. And here this repetitive phrasing is akin to that use, holy of holies or song of songs or king of kings, just to double up the meaning, okay? Now, we, we, we've already talked about some of the things that are highlighted, but the word hevel is used more than 30 times in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. More than 30 times we're going to find the word hevel. If we were reading in our Hebrew Bible, we would find the word hevel in there 30 What is, what, is, what, is, what is Solomon trying to tell us? What does he really want you to know? You're just here for a little while. What would you say? Life is meaningless. I mean, he, he really does. He, he really wants, and look, not that, not that the heart beating and not that the breathing and not that all the experiences that you have are meaningless because eventually he's going to tell us that we should just rejoice in those. 
He's telling you that all of the things that you think make life meaningless don't have any meaning. It's what you chase after. He's going he's to use words, roping the wind. I mean, he, he's going to use a lot of things to help you understand that the things that you think are going to make your life significant in the grand scheme of things don't, don't carry much weight. His ultimate point, again, his ultimate point is fear God. His ultimate point is stay close to God. His ultimate point is trust, obey, worship the Lord. Because apart from that, all of these other things are meaningless. All of these other things are meaningless. All right, so what does, let's look at this. What does he mean by meaningless? All right, so the first thing that he tells us in, in throughout the book is the first, first way that it is meaningless is that life is unfair. Anybody ever experienced that? Tell my kids all the time. I've been telling them for years. They, they, they should have it down pat by now. Well, that ain't fair. Nope. Get used to it, brother. It's going to keep happening. Something's going to happen to you that in your mind is not fair. Doesn't mean it's not or it is. It just means in our minds we, we assume that it's not. So here are some things, and I'm, gonna give you, I'm just going to give you an overview. You can write these down if you want to, and you can go look them up. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, the first thing that is unfair is that the people who are oppressed have no one to make them feel better. The people who are oppressed, the people who are looked down upon, they have no one to console them. They have no one to encourage them. They have no one to cheer them up. The second thing in chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, is that we see that the poor, those who are less fortunate, are oftentimes just simply forgotten. Just simply forgotten. You know, we've talked about our trip to New Orleans back in the summer many times. And I, it's, it's a, it was a life-changing thing, and I'm, I'm, already, I'm already excited about going again next summer and looking forward to that because it's an opportunity for these people who are oftentimes forgotten to be ministered to. Not that we're special, not that we're anything other than just obedient to what God's calling us to do. But look, that's, that's, what, that's what she was saying in, in the doctor's office yesterday. Pe- people are put in front of you. It's up to you what you do with the situation. It's up to you how you respond to what God is putting in front of you. Several times, and I'll probably get an amen for this, right? In chapter 1, 3, in chapter 3, verse 9, in chapter 5, verse 15, Solomon complains that workers don't make enough money for all the work that they do. Anybody? Anybody? No amens in the room on that. Wow. If this was a Sunday morning crowd, somebody would have amen that. But his thing is, you toil and you work and you give your life to the job that you go to. If you think about it, people in America, though we don't work, an eight-hour workday in the grand scheme of things is not a really taxing thing. I mean, if you're working in labor, I guess it is. But you spend as much time working your job as you do sleeping and spending time with your family. You literally give as much to your job as you do everything else in your life. And he says, you're not, we're not compensated enough for that. We don't earn enough for that. He mentions it three times in the book. People don't make enough money for what they do. Life is unfair, right? 
Chapter 8, verse 14, he says, the people that are righteous are treated like the wicked, and the people who are wicked are treated like the righteous. Y'all, y'all, I mean, y'all, I mean, y'all seen that, right? In a world today, we're, we're maybe not here in, South, in, in, in Alabama yet, but in parts of the world, the people who are, are trying to bet their best to live for Christ are the ones who are often the most persecuted. But now you also see that there are people who are just absolutely horrible people who are what we would consider blessed, right? They have big things and lots of money and all this. And if, if you're going to... His, his basic point as he's going through this is what's the point in being good if somebody who's bad is going to have the same thing, if not more, than me? Why do I continue to, to do this and continue to live this way if the result's going to be totally different? This is the one I was talking about. It's going to make you think of what you talk, talked about a minute ago, Bob. Chapter 10, verse 6, he says, fools are oftentimes put in leadership positions. I told you. I told you. It's going to make you think of Washington, D.C., right? Y'all ever had somebody that was in charge of you that was not as smart as you? Again, no amens on that. Wow. Okay. And he says, what's the point? Why do I go? And he's going to talk about education. He's going to talk about, why do I go do all these other things when I'm just going to have to be subject to somebody who doesn't know as much as I do? Who, who's not capable of doing the things that I'm capable of doing? That's his, I mean, that's his point, right? Fools are often put in leadership positions. And his, his last thing that he mentions, this is, this is kind of interesting, chapter 11, verse 6, he says, good crops aren't guaranteed to farmers. Now that kind of ties into the, the hard work and you don't get what you deserve. Because I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Is there anybody who works as hard as a farmer? I mean, there probably are. I, I'm, not, I'm not having a competition to see who works the hardest. But now, and then they just have to sit back and trust and hope and pray and wait. They can work and they can do all this other stuff. They work hard and sometimes they're, they're blessed, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't rain. Or sometimes it rains too much, or sometimes it rains on the wrong day. Uh, his thing is, there's nobody that works harder than a farmer, and they above everybody should be blessed, but that's not the way it works. Life is unfair. Right? True story. True story. The second thing he says that makes life meaningless is life seems to be futile because we don't have a clue what's going to take place next. We don't know what's about to happen. Chapter 3, 11 and chapter 11, verse 5 says, we don't understand all that God does. Well, that's right. And he's kind, of, he's, kind of, he's kind of lamenting the fact that we don't know all that God is. I'm going to tell you, I think the opposite. I think we should rejoice. The understanding that I'm not God and that I don't have to know everything that God knows is a weight off my shoulders. Right? The fact that I don't have to figure it all out, that I don't have to be in charge, and that I don't have to make the right decisions. All i got to do is say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, I'll follow your plan. When you realize that, that weight comes off your shoulders, and literally, he says, you were set free. <laughs> and that, that, that freedom is... I don't have to be God today. I'm not very good at it. I'm really kind of horrible at it. And the job's already filled, right? So, I, I, you know, he's, he's lamenting that, but I'm rejoicing in the fact that I don't have to be God today. I don't have to be the decision maker. I don't have to make, you know, everything work and fall into line. All I've got to do is my part. 
All I've got to do is whatever He tells me to and be obedient. He says, life seems futile for the second reason. Chapter 9, verse 12, because hard times come on us unexpectedly. It might be easier sometimes if you got a warning, like a letter in the mail, like, hey, on um, November the 1st, hard times are coming. Would that make it easier or better, or are you just going to stress out and worry about it? It's a, it's a real catch-22 there, isn't it? Real catch-22. Probably, probably most things that come our way, we, we're glad that we don't know them ahead of time. We, we, we can just respond, we can just... Because look, here's the thing. I think of this verse so often. Whatever comes today, whether it's expected or unexpected, God has prepared you for. You may not even be fully aware of it yet, but God has fully prepared you for it. And on top of that, He says His mercies are new every morning. So whatever you're going to face today, you didn't need to know about it yesterday. Because he's, he, he, when you got up this morning and you rolled your feet off the side of the bed and put them on the ground, He said, whatever you need today, I've got you. And that's that's kind of like that last thing, right? That should be a relief. That should be a comfort. That should be, whew, thank goodness, I don't have to deal with that, okay? Chapter 2, verse 16, again, says, both wise people and fools are forgotten after their death. After their death. 2.16. Um, you know, there are, there are people that we remember. There's certain people we, we think about. There's, in the history of the world, there's clearly people that that if their, their name has carried on and their history has carried on and their life has carried on. But now, for the average person, we're all going to be forgotten. I don't mean you're going to forget those people that were close to you, but when you're gone and your next generation is gone, the average person, and that's a little, that is a little depressing. <laughs> that is a little depressing, right? to think of all the things I've worked hard for and all the things that I've tried to accomplish and all the things that God has done in the grand scheme of things on earth in a hundred years, the average person, nobody's going to be talking about. You kind of, in that, from that perspective, you, you kind of do go, well, that's why it's, it, it all boils down, y'all, to that apart from Christ part. He's, he's writing, he's reminiscing back to a time when Christ was not central in his life. And so that made it futile. And he, he mentions again in chapter 1, verse 12, and in chapter 5, verse 15, we don't get to take anything with us when we die. Futile, right? I should get to, I should get to load up my box with all the stuff I've earned. All the, all the money I have, I have made in my life. Just not how it works. Into the wor Naked you came into the world, <laughs> naked you will depart. I know you'll have on a suit or something. We don't get to take our stuff with us. said it earlier, he who dies with the most toys just leaves his toys behind. They're gone. The third thing he says is that makes life meaningless. He says life is frustrating because of all of the uncertainties. All of the uncertainties. Chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says you can work all you want, all you want to, but it will bring no pleasure. There's no, no pleasure that comes from work. 
And I, look, I know you can say, well, I, I feel really accomplished at the end of a hard day's work. You do. I, there's one, of, one of my favorite things in the whole world is, is spending two and a half yard hours working in my yard and then looking at it when I'm done. There's, 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 <laughs> exactly. But you know what? Next week, the grass has grown back. Right? And, you know, you can work at a job where you make hoozy watsits for a living, and you know what? You can make a thousand hoozy watsits today. And you know what you got to do when you come to work tomorrow? You got to make a thousand more hoozy watsits. So, from that perspective, he says, life, work, the, the, the job, the, the, the task that is set before you doesn't have much pleasure in it. He says it in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, we have money but we don't have enough time to enjoy it. Oftentimes because we're out trying to make more. Or maybe it's we can't decide what we want to do with our money. Or maybe it's, I've got money, but I don't have enough to do that. You see what I'm saying? you got money, but it, you, you, it, doesn't always bring, it doesn't always bring that fulfillment. It doesn't always bring that satisfaction. Because if you got $1, you want 10 If you got $10, you want 100 If you got $100, you want 1000 If you got $1,000, you want $10,000. It, it, it does not. It, it can provide temporary happiness. It can provide events and memories and other things. But the money is not the answer. I mean, it's necessary, but it's not... The answer here. Chapter 7, verse 14 says, we don't know if the day that we're about to face is going to be good or bad. We, we kind of hit that earlier, right? The uncertainty, the not knowing, the things that are coming our way. We've got to make sure that we just, just are able to roll with the punches and just know that God is in control. Here's a good one right here. Chapter 9, verse 18 tells us that a lot of wisdom can be ruined by a little bit of foolishness. A lot, it's absolutely true. A lot of wisdom can be ruined by just a little bit of foolishness. Y'all ever known somebody who had a wonderful reputation? Spent their whole life establishing their character and who they were, and they made one mistake. It ruined in your eyes who they were. 100 years, 50 years, 20 years of solid reputation in one little slip-up. Happens a lot in ministry. Happens a lot in ministry. A guy can have a successful 20, 25 years of ministry and then make one mistake. Say one wrong thing in the pulpit. It's over. One little bit of foolishness can undo a whole bunch of good things, a whole bunch of wisdom. All right, so now he gets at the end of this and he says, What's the cure for all of this? And I told you, the theme. To, to the book is not depressing. The theme to the book is really kind of encouraging and uplifting. It's just dead and buried amidst all of this other stuff. So, the first thing, what is the cure for all of this hevel, all of this vapor, all of this enigma, all of this meaningless stuff? The first thing he says is to enjoy the life that you have. What's, a, what's one word that you would use to sum that up? To enjoy the life that you have. To be content. To be content. Probably the greatest challenge in our world today is whatever you have to just be content. The word share might be in there as well. Uh, 
Just enjoy what you have. Look, we said it a couple weeks ago. I, I, sometimes I, I, I was listening to, or maybe one day while I was off last week, said the top 1% of income earners in the world. Do you know what puts you in the top 1% of income earners in the world? A yearly income of, of this. What, what is it that puts you in the top 1% in the world? A million per year? 500,000 per year? 100,000 per year? $30,000 a year. If you earn or have access to $30,000 a year, you are in the 1%, top 1% of wage earners in the world. Now, we live in a society where it takes a lot. <laughs> it, I mean, it takes a lot in America. You can live in Ecuador, you can live in other parts of the world on $30,000 and live like a king. $30,000 don't get you that here, but if you make $30,000 in a year, you and, and 2023, I'm not talking like 1978 or 1947, I'm talking in 2023, $30,000 puts you in the top 1% of wage earners, wage earners in the world. Be content. Enjoy what you have. You have more than most. Whatever it is, it may not seem like much to you, but you have more than most. And if you don't believe that, I, I promise you, go, go somewhere else. Go to another part of the world. Go to the Dominican. Go to Ecuador. Go to Mexico. Go to Africa. Go to parts of the world where they would jump up and down for joy for the things that you and I have. Huh? The attitude of gratitude, yeah. Yeah, we would, all, we would all do well to, uh, to adopt that. Just an attitude of gratitude for be thankful for what we have. In chapter 2, verse 24, Solomon says this. He says, There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen is from the hand of God. Chapter 3, verse 22, he says, I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Chapter 9, verse 9 says, Enjoy life with the woman. Probably applies, ladies, to, to your man as well. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. This is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Enjoy the relationships. Enjoy the people that God puts in your life. Enjoy the things that God has allowed you to have. Solomon reminds us that despite all of the enigmas, all of the inequities, all of the things that seem to, to, to weigh us down, we should stop for a minute and enjoy what God has given us. I said it earlier, and we refer to it, stop and smell the roses. Right? It's a simple phrase. It's a simple, simple little catch thing that, that, that helps us understand that, look, there's, there's pretty things, there's beautiful things, there's comforts, there's, there's things all around us that God has given us, and we oftentimes miss them. You know, I, I, how much do we miss out on, really, in that chase for the next best thing, for the biggest thing, for the next, there's roses all around, y'all. And we never stop and see what they smell like because we're chasing something that's worse. Not as good, not as pretty, not as lovely 
doesn't smell as nice. Whatever, 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 you know, however you want to put on that, that's 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 there. Now, listen, here's here's some things that he's not saying. He says this, he says, uh, to eat and to drink and to tell himself his labor is good, uh, be happy with the activities, enjoy your 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 people that he's given you. But now listen, he in no way is saying that you should stop pursuing God and chase those things. Matter of fact, he's really and absolutely telling you 1,000% the opposite. He's not, he's not telling you to pursue those things because they're going to give you meaning. He's going to tell you to pursue those things because God has blessed you with them and you should stop and enjoy what God has blessed you with. Because really, wholeheartedly, he's against doing those things and letting them become your God. He's against you doing those things and letting them become your God. He wants, the, he wants God to be your God and those to be the things He's blessed you with. Right? So He's not talking about this hedonistic act of, of just you know, eat, drink, and be merry because I just got to glutton myself so I can be happy till I die. That's not what He's doing. In no way does Solomon ever instruct you to sin. He never tells you to do anything that's opposite to God. He never tells you to do anything that goes against the will and the plan of God. He tells you things he's done that were sin. He tells you things he's done that were against the will and the plan of God, but he never tells you to pursue things that are against God. Or they may become your God. They may become the thing that you worship. When you're chasing after things more than you're chasing after God, they're your God. When you're chasing after money more than you're chasing after God, money has become your God. When you're chasing after uh, inappropriate relationships more than you're chasing after, your, after God, that thing has become your God. Right? He says, these things are just for you to enjoy. These things are gifts from God. These are things that God has blessed you with. Enjoy them. Look, y'all, it's simple. Probably the simplest thing I've said in all these years of teaching this thing, but stop and smell the roses. Stop and enjoy what God's given you. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Right? Because if you stopped, Mitt, Mitt says it all the time, if you stopped and we gave you a minute to name all the things God has done for you, we'd be here all If I told you all the things God has done for me, if I told you the stories and the miracles and the things that I've seen God do in my life, y'all, we wouldn't be going home today. Stop and enjoy those things. You miss those things by chasing after other things. You miss the good stuff by chasing after the things that don't matter. The second thing he says, his, his key to life here is, after you enjoy the life you have, is to fear God. We know that that word here means to reverence or to, or, or to respect or to just be in love with God. He's not talking about a, a, a being afraid fear. But he instructs us to fear God, to trust God, to obey God, to serve God, to love God, to worship God. And like I said before, in our lives, we miss out on these things. We miss out on the worship. We miss out on the trust. We miss out on the fellowship with God because we're pursuing things that don't matter. Y'all, that's all he wants you to hear is there are things that don't matter. God matters. Your people matter. Your situation matters. Your things don't. And they're keeping you from the things that do. To fear God, again, means to stand in awe, to depend on Him, not in ourselves. I can't do it. Again, y'all, this, this realization, this understanding of the fact that I can't should be freeing 
It should be comforting. It should be, it's not, it's not a failure on your part that you need God to do the things He wants you to do. That is not failure on your part. The getting to the point when we release that, that inability in myself and I just trust God. That moment when I let Him have it. Y'all, that should be the most comforting feeling in the whole world. Is that He's got it under control. We trust Him, right? Because He can. There are things you can't do. There's things I can't do. A lot of things I can't do. There's nothing except lie and leave us that He can't do, right? I mean, let it go. Let it go. I'm telling you, y'all, that, that realization should, should just thrill our souls. It takes the pressure off of us trying to be God in our own lives. There's five times in the book of Solomon where he, excuse me, in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he instructs us to fear God. Chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 18. Chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. And chapter 12, verse 13. Y'all, I've said this probably a hundred times, but if, if something's in Scripture, it, it, it only needs to be there once for it to mean something, right? When he says it over and over and over and over and over again. When in 12 books, when 12 chapters of a book, he says to fear God and, and, and trust in Him. He says it five times because he really wants you to get it. He really wants you to get it. He really wants you to understand the importance of, 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 of just getting into what God wants for your life. So here it is, y'all. This is the nutshell. This is the, this is the summation. This is the cliff notes right here. The, the ultimate message that Solomon wants you to hear is that the key to life is not the life itself. Right? The key to life is not the life itself. It's, it's not the journey that you're on. It's not the journey that God is guiding you on and directing you on the moments that happen on that journey. It's the people that surround you on that journey. It's the things that God has placed in your life. It's stopping to enjoy the journey and stopping to focus on the God who is leading you on that journey. Think about Peter. Think about Peter. Peter is, Peter is one of the... You, you think of the word enigma, right? That... that you think you got Peter figured out, and all of a sudden, man, he just changes the rules on everything, doesn't he? Peter is, was a man. He opened his mouth too much. He, he, he got himself in trouble. But you know what? Peter did some of the coolest things in all of Scripture. Peter, Peter did some of the coolest things in all of Scripture. And I, I, y'all, I think about there's, there's 12 guys in that boat, and Jesus is walking to them on that water. What but one of them that had the courage or the wherewithal to trust God enough, to trust Jesus Christ standing right in front of them enough to get out of that water? For all that Peter was. And look, we know Peter, when we get into Acts, and later on, Peter is a, is a rock star. See what I did there? Rock star. Cephas, rock, etc. Boom. When he gets out of that boat, y'all, he does something that nobody else does. He trusts the Jesus that's trying to, to teach him how to go on this journey. The, the Jesus that's trying to perfect 
his journey. The Jesus who's trying to teach him everything, he trusts him enough, at least for a moment, to get out of the boat and do something impossible. The only, thing, the only way you're going to do anything impossible in your life is to, to get out of the boat and, and, and look at Jesus and trust him to know that he's got you. Because what happened to Peter? He took his eyes off and he sunk. But he didn't die. He didn't drown. That wasn't the end of Peter's story, right? Why? Because Jesus was right there to take him up out of that water and pull him out and put him back in the boat and say, look, we got this. He always reminded us of a mischievous little boy. I, I, I mean, I can't disagree with that. At least early on, Peter, right? All right. So now, Solomon tried everything under the sun. He uses that, that phrase, under the sun, a lot, right? He tried everything under the sun, but here's the, here's the thing. When he sat back at the end of his life, when he sat back and reflected, and he probably had some good memories and he probably had some really bad memories. When he sat back at the end of his life and he looked back, he, he didn't remember all the good things. He focused on the things he wishes he'd done different. We all do. He focused on the things that he wished he could take back. He focused on the things that we... Because look, nobody... Nobody is going to be laying on their deathbed going, you know what, if only I'd have made another $1,000. If only I'd have made another $5,000. If only I'd have made another $10,000. If only I had one more car. If only I had a beach house. You know what they're going to remember? They're going to think, if only I had a few more moments. If only I had a little more time to do. If only I'd gone one more place. If only... Y'all, the answer is, if only I'd been just a little bit more obedient to God. If only I'd just done what He wanted me to do. How many things did I miss out on because I was chasing this instead of pursuing God? The only thing that really mattered. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.